0: Let's welcome Billy Russell. Billy. Uh, I also, by the way, you'll notice uh, that Miss Shawnee Johnson is joining us up here. Um, she and Billy got a chance to connect this morning. and so um, I sprung this on her and invited her to join us uh, this morning as well uh, because she's gotten to know Billy. And so um, what we're going to do this morning, uh, is a little bit different, and we've done this in past fall focuses as well, which is we're just going to do a little bit of um, a chill Q&A time with Billy based on some questions that you as a community asked. Um, and there were some basic categories um, that you had as a theme as students, um, and I sent an email requesting some some questions, and I think the first one, uh, so Billy, thanks for being willing to do this and be on the hot seat this morning. Appreciate it. And uh, the first question that... Um, came to people's minds, and that I thought was an interesting one, is how does it feel to go to a predominantly white school to talk about your struggle with racism in your early life?
1: Well, if I date it back to the time when um, we first integrated uh, Improved School. Improved was a school that was located probably about two and a half miles from where we lived. But we were being bused past that school 23 miles, one way by the time we picked everybody up and we got to the school, that's the school we was passing by, going to the, the, the black school. Um, so when the uh, segregation act was passed, many people said they would never do it, never do it. And Mississippi was one of those places. But finally, um, it was in 1964 when they decided to do it. I guess dated myself to 1964. But um, it was when they decided to do it and the local NAACP and my dad and other pastors, said they was gonna put their children in improved school where no black person ever would going to do anything, not even cut the grass. But it was um, on that August evening, somewhere around August 17th, that we walked into that school, and I'll be honest, very, very fearful. Because a lot of people had, who had said they was gonna do it backed out. It, was, it ended up being like five pastors who sent their children to the school. So it was nine of us who originally went. And scared to death as we walked in because he, he was a, a line of people that don't want you there. And they had a wall. And security had to come and actually open up the place so we could get in to the principal's office. Scared to death, and he said, what can I do for you? And my dad spoke and said, we want to enroll these children in school. And he, after a series of questions, they enrolled us. But they put us all in what I call a dungeon. I got pictures of it in the back part of a gymnasium. They put all nine of us in that place. They had one light in it. And it didn't work half the time. And the books and material they gave us, we did not have not one full book. There were torn pages everywhere. They were so used up. Just like threw us a bunch of junk. And you can imagine, going into that situation day after day, I had serious issues, mental issues that led to other sicknesses, because being treated like I was some kind of disease or something. That's how I felt. Now, that was in my early years. I'm a fifth grader and being treated like this. We couldn't, even go, we couldn't go to the bathroom at the time everybody else went. They we had a separate time for us to go to the bathroom, separate time for us to eat lunch. One day, I really had to go to the bathroom. The teacher said, "Who they had hired a, they hired a black teacher that was in the room with us and kept us all together. And this is what happened for us fifth and sixth grade. Um, but I told her, I said, I, I really got to go. I don't know what the consequences may be. And sure enough, I went to the restroom and there was one white boy, he was a senior. Here I am, a sixth grader. And they, he made the yell, called call me out of my name, and then let everybody know that I was in the restroom. And it was a whole restroom filled with people who beat me down, who kicked me, who even stabbed me with a pencil. And I was struggling to get back to the classroom And when they finally got through. And um, the t- teacher asked me what happened. And then after I told her what happened, she said, well, you knew the consequences before you went. That's all that came of that. So now, I was afraid already. Now I'm really afraid because I don't know. I get these looks, these stares every day like you're not supposed to be here. Call all kind of names every day. You're not supposed to be here. And by the time we were seventh grade, things started to get a a little different. It was still, now it's like 12, or 12 people are at the school now, 12 black people at the school. And now they actually let us go in the, in the seventh grade. I just kind of skipped through fifth and sixth grade the way they had us, but they put me in the seventh grade. In the seventh grade, now we can actually move around and at the same time, we're in the same classrooms. And one day I was in class now, this person constantly looked at me every day, every day. But my dad had always told us, don't look anybody in the eyes. And I still have problems today when somebody say, you, you can't look at me. Well, it, it caused me problems problem now because I always looked down. When I saw a white person walking on the sidewalk, I had to look down, step away off the sidewalk. And especially if you saw a white girl, do not look at her in the eyes. So I didn't do that. But this girl looked at me every day. And you know how you can feel somebody looking at you? you can, I knew she was looking at me, but I was trying to make sure that I didn't look at her. And she would look and kept smiling. And one day I, I actually looked back at her and I, I didn't smile, I didn't wink my eye, but I, I, I kind of said, stop it. That's the motion I made, like stop it. And then She screamed out in the classroom and said I would have been winking my eye at her every day. And the teacher told her to go and call her parents and report it to the principal. They called me to the office and um, they said, we're gonna deal with you in the morning. Sure enough, the next morning, I'm standing out in the front of the school and I see this lady with her daughter. They're coming fast toward me. There's three of us standing there. Myself and two of my best friends who went through the whole thing with us. We're just standing there. We're looking at her coming like, what's going on? And she walked up and she pointed. She said, Mama, that's the colored boy that's been messing with me. And this lady slapped me and told me don't ever look at her daughter again, and then took me by the hand and drug me into the principal's office and told the principal she won't beat until she say that's enough. And I can't tell you how, how large that board was, but it made me lay across his desk, and literally beat me until she said that's enough. I'm a seventh grader. But at that point, I'm at a, I'm, I'm, I'm at a point where I'm like, okay, um, I'm tired of being treated like this. And I told a group of boys that had beat me up early on, I said, I can't fight all of you, but give me your best one. I guarantee you, I beat them up. And they gave me their best one. We went behind the cafeteria and I beat them up. Just like that. And, and they didn't, nobody else jumped in. But now, James Brown come up with a song that said, say it loud, I'm black and I'm proud. And guess what? I'm proud to be black now. Well, I've been feeling like I was some kind of disease and I kept asking what's wrong with me. But now, that song, so I got my cutoff shirt and I've always been, been a little bit, little bit muscular. I just had a brag on myself. <laughs> uh, on my shirt, I mean, I, I had this shirt and I wrote on my arm, say it loud. I'm black and I'm proud. And I was in my math class, the first class of the day. And the teacher asked me, what is that on your arm? I said, can't you read it? I said, "Just said say loud I'm black and I'm proud. He said, go get that off your arm. I said, because um, now I'm kind of feeling myself a little bit. I'm like, no sir, I'm not gonna do that. I said, I'm proud to be black today. At that time, he snatched me out of my desk and said, I told you to take it off. I said, I'm not gonna do it. Drugged me out of the hallway and proceeded to tell me to grab my toes and he was gonna beat me until I decided to take it off. And he beat me until he got tired and told me just go back in the room but then he told me he said, "I'm going to give you an F for the rest of the year in this math class because you wouldn't take it out." Yeah, what happened? Now we, it's eighth grade, and guess what? Now things are uh, getting more and more. There are more people coming. It's about fifty of us there now, and so we got we got a, some better things happening now. Um, but then that teacher that did that to me in the eighth grade. Because there's so many coming, he decides to go work at the uh, private school. And so I never saw him anymore. As I went on through school, finished 12th grade, the school's now more integrated, we've changed locations. We are at, instead of it being an improved school, it's still in Marion County, but it's called Marion County Schools now. I graduate from that school. I go to Pearl River Community College, where I go to play football. But they wanted football players, which was mostly the black players, to take either carpentry or masonry. But I'm like, I can already lay blocks of brick. I did it growing up. And I, I, so I want to be in academics. They did everything they could to keep me from going into academics because they wanted me to spend most of my time doing what? Playing football. The coaches begged me not to do it, don't do it. But I went into academics at Pearl Virginia College. Came out pretty good. Came up with a 3.8. And went on from there to the University of Southern Mississippi. And got my first degree. And I was waiting to get into physical therapy school trying to be enrolled at Ole Miss, and you had to do your research on old Miss. Um, so I was, I was waiting. My dad told me, I said, you ought to go and get certified in teaching. So I, I could take nine more hours. I took those nine hours. Nine hours of student teaching, and I could be a, a teacher. So when I was doing my student teaching, I did my student teaching at the school I graduated from. So they hired me at the school I graduated from. The same school. But a teacher had did that to me. I'm just showing you what God can do. I never saw him anymore until after eight years I was elevated, I became the head principal of the K-12 school. The private school closed. And this person that I had dealings with in the seventh grade now needs a job. I'm going through applications on my desk and this name pop up. And I, I, I don't want to tell you the kind of things that went through my mind. in my spirit about what had happened. But God told me, hire him. Brought him in for an interview. He didn't know what was going to happen. I didn't mention anything. He didn't mention anything, but he was just sweating like bullets. <laughs> I hired him. And in order to keep his uh, certificate, we had what was called Mai Tai training. You had to go through that Mai Tai training and uh, the Mai Tai evaluation. And I had to evaluate him three times a year in order for his license to be renewed. And just my sitting there in the classroom as his principal, now I'm evaluating him. The Lord said to me, now you see how all this turned around. I wrote a song, by God, I could turn it all around. It was because of that incident. Um, that was just in... I guess I went too far on that. Did I? <laughs> okay. But that, that's, that's a true story. I mean, I read a lot of stuff in books. But guess what? I was not taught anything. I know that the thing now with this with critical race theory and all of this, that's nothing new. I was not taught anything anything about history and heritage. Not anything. I didn't even read a a book by a black author until I found out that that black authors really write books and now I'm reading like crazy. But you can see the environment I came up in. I wasn't talking about slavery. I wasn't taught about sharecropping, but we were sharecropping. We were working on somebody else's land. My dad didn't own any land. We were farming. We had to pick four bushels of corn in before we got one. It wasn't sharecropping. They said it wasn't. It was just you're you, you using our land, and you're you, you doing the labor, and we're going to give you something for it. On the other hand though, when I had, uh, John Piper released his book at my church called Bloodlines. He told his story, if you read his book, about how he grew up and they grew up with a maid in their house. And he wanted me to respond to it because he knew that my mama had served as a maid. And on that stage that night, I realized I still had some issues. Because he began to talk about how what they, their maid had to do, how she had to cook for them and clean for them and iron their clothes and wash for them. And those are the things I wanted my mom to do for me. But she couldn't do it for me because she was doing it for the people she worked for. All the cooking, all the cleaning. And by the time she got home, she was so tired with very meager amounts of maybe a piece of meat and a dollar or two but she's too tired to cook for me. When I got out the bus, there was nobody to greet me because she was greeting other people. So that night I, I learned on the stage with John Piper, I'm, I'm still, I still got some issues that I need to deal with. And I went before my church and I, I admitted to my church, I'm still dealing with these issues. I need you all to help me pray. It was, it was then that God just moved me past all of that. All the hurt, all the pain. God moved me all past that. I asked him to forgive me for my attitude. And I asked him to make me better. That I wouldn't dwell on things like that. So now i can say I'm over it. And my thing is now, I preach we're better together everywhere I go because we are, we, we must come together as schools, as communities, as churches. You know, I, I saw something in, in uh, Kenya and I've been to Kenya, uh, several uh, cities there in Kenya, uh, Nairobi and Eldoret. been over there five times, my wife and I both, and been to South Africa been in Israel, and my whole thing is, seeing how divided this world is, America, I saw something in, in, the, these, in this country, in uh, Kenya, people who had literally nothing, walked to church, three hours to walk to church, and I'm preaching. And I'm thinking I'm going to give them a little 20-minute message like I gave you all yesterday. I've been doing a lot of 20-minute stuff. But no, they wouldn't let me stop. They were so joyful. They were so happy. And I'm talking about people literally with, with nothing, but they are still able to rejoice in the Lord. And then I saw them do something. I saw them bring offerings. Even chickens. live Eggs. Eggs. They all brought it to the front of the table. And then they called down a person who probably had the least of anybody. And they gave all those gifts to that person. To me, that's love God, love others. You want to know the answer for today? Love God, love others. You cannot say you love God and you don't like me. may not like all the things I do, all the things I say, but we gotta love each other. We're better together. There's no black hair, no white heaven. Okay, go ahead.
2: I have a question. This is something I've been actually thinking about since hearing you talk yesterday and hearing a little bit more of your story today. And I think about all the challenges that you have experienced in your life and the trauma and the pain. And, and a lot of people here have experienced some on a different level. And you can make a choice here, right? Like you, you can run towards Jesus. You can run away from him in that pain. And we all have that choice to make. And you chose. You would have had every reason, every excuse to be like, how is this God real? And all of this is happening to me. Like, how can I trust this God? How can I know he's real, that he loves me, and all of this is happening to me? And maybe some of you guys feel like that. What... Can you talk us through, like, what is that process that you went through that turned you actually towards him instead of away from him?
1: Well, one thing I can say, we had always, uh, my dad was a pastor, and um, we was in church all the time, you know, back in Blue Spring, Mississippi, nothing happened on Sunday but church, (laughs) and um, I mean, it was 9 a.m. Sunday school, and it was uh, 10.30 Eleven o'clock church and we was there in that first service to like two o'clock. Then we went, got lunch and we came back to church. That was our Sunday, every Sunday routine in church. And then on Wednesday nights we was in Bible study. So I'm hearing all this word and then I, I, I'm following my dad around. He go do revivals all over the country. He did revivals. And I went with him and Heard him always talking about this Jesus. Oh, he would make a way out of nowhere, he'd come through for you. And I've I've seen him when he would uh, like the time I told you we, yesterday he, we stopped by this place to eat, and they told him to go to the back, and he joyfully went to the back. But he still come out saying to me, God is for you. You watch God do it. Keep believing. And that was instilled in me, keep believing. Believe, trust, have faith. So I, it kept growing in me. And I was singing. He, had, he, he made me literally get up and sing when I was five years old. And I was doing his singing, bringing him on to preach from being on since I was five. And my voice used to be real, real light. I, mean, I had a little you know, a little tenor-like voice. I, was, I guess I was trying to be Michael Jackson sometime, but, <laughs> <laughs> but, but then it was, um, it, something happened. It just changed. And it got, got this way. So, <laughs> so, my, so my whole way of singing had to change. So, you know, um, I've been in church and I was singing and, and people, seeing people move in the spirit. And at age 15, they asked me to teach a, a Bible class. Um, but then my Sunday school teacher at that time asked me a question. Asked me, he said, are, are you saved? Called my name, Bill, are you saved? Because you're doing a lot of great things. You're singing and teaching, but are you saved? Then he said, have you accepted Jesus as your Savior? And I had to tell him no. He challenged me. took me through the Roman road, gave me all those scriptures. We read through them together, and he challenged me to continue to read. Because there were were times I I had some serious doubts about God being for me and all I was going through. And out of all my daddy had said, I believed it, but doubt. I had a bout with doubt, trust me. But the, the things I saw God do, my eyes came open after I got saved. And the things I saw him do, and what he brought me through, I still have Joe. I feel good about my salvation, so.
0: Billy, one of the questions that comes up, um, and you shared, thank you for um, sharing, so honestly, your own journey. Um, some students here might be sitting here saying, um, well, that was your story, and you were uh, down south, and here we are in Minnesota, and it's today, um, Where do we, how would you speak into, and what do you observe about our current context with these issues, um, and how would you kind of speak into the lives of students, you know, um, in Minnesota (laughs) uh, in in the 2000s on this issue? Well, you know... um, And I'm not saying you haven't. I'm saying that some students might be sitting here separating that, right? We have a tendency to do that. Separating the then and now? Yeah, Uh, your story in there. Okay.
1: Well, let me, I can tell you, uh, I, I can just compare Mississippi with Minnesota, because um, a lot of people like, oh, you come from Mississippi, and I assure them, yeah, I'm from Mississippi, and I'm proud to be from Mississippi, because the South got something to say. Y'all leave here with that, the South got <laughs> something to say. Because um, the migration, that was a great migration that happened. People moved north looking for better things. And I always wanted to move north too, looking for better things. All my daddy's brothers, sisters, everybody moved to Detroit. And um, Chicago and Milwaukee, that was the place, nobody ever moved to Minnesota. But my wife got an offer to come to the Mayo Clinic 22 years ago. She's a nurse practitioner. I said I would never move here to Minnesota. But when I saw the the, the, uh, offer they made her, I said, we'll go and stay a couple of years. (laughs) And honestly, that's what I wanted to do, but just be a short term. And got, when I, I'm thinking now, no more racism, no more of this stuff I had to go through. I'm out of the South, I'm in the North. But the first person I meet in the Cubs store, I'm going to the grocery store. This man looks at me and he says, boy, you're a long way from home, aren't you? I'm like, that, that really happened in, in Rochester, Minnesota? I said, uh, "No, sir. I'm. I'm uh, I live in Rochester. You're a long way from home." That's what he told me. Next thing, I'm thinking, you know, we're in Minnesota. Everything's fine." My son plays football, and he is at the, the, the school. I won't put them all out there like that. Be playing, and he has dreads, and. It was about with the coach wanting him to cut him off or not not play. He wouldn't cut him off. Went through some things I went through, and then because, but he, he they still let him play. But then he went through the the local Walmart with his dread. and they put alert button buttons on and put all the people around him, and literally. He, he just left because he was like, why are you all following me? What did I do? So he come home and he tell me about what happened. And I go up to the Walmart store. I said, I need to see the manager, please. And I told him about I said, did, did you put people all over my son watching him security when he walked in the store? And I said, this boy right here. He said, well, yeah, I did because we, we had never seen his kind. And we didn't know what was about to happen. And we got those dreads and, and we just don't know what's going what I like oh okay, Rochester, Minnesota, huh? And then when I get a a call to come work at Austin High School, I actually looked at I put my resume in the uh, back then we could do we was fax and stuff, so I faxed my resume, and uh, I don't know what <laughs> they thought my name was B I L L something Bill. And I guess they thought they didn't know I was black. So when I walked in, they, they called me back to come for an interview. I went for an interview the next day. And they said to the, I walked in, and the secretary was like, can we help you? I said, yeah, I'm, I'm, here. I'm Billy Russell. I'm here for the interview. You a Billy Russell? I said, yes, ma'am. And she looks around. Uh, The principal was in his office with the door closed, but she calls him on the phone and says, Villa Rosa is here. He's black. That's what she said to him. And he come out, shook my hand, interviewed me, hired me. The next thing I know, the Post Bulletin was there saying the first black teacher at Austin High School. I mean, I'm thinking that as I move north, I'm going to get rid of a lot of stuff coming to Minnesota. We're running into some of the same stuff. But you know what? I've seen the church of God come together and they're doing some mighty things right now. I I know through the, the living God, through these churches, he's going to make a difference. Out of all the things we've been through, it's the church of God. I, 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 I pray this experience for every student that they can have a Christian experience like this and really get to know Jesus. Because I truly believe, as you see on the pictures of whatever about me, Jesus is the answer. I truly believe that to everything. So, I hope I answered the question. Are you making answer a different way? Um.
0: We have a few minutes remaining, and you just mentioned a song. Um, there was a request, and you, you and I chatted about this before, but um, Billy, we, um, you students may not know this, uh, but as you came in yesterday and as you left, what you were hearing was uh, Billy's music, and he's good. Uh, and some people requested yesterday, um, and maybe it would be, just be a good closing blessing if you're willing uh, to sing a song. Uh, for us, that was a request. And... Back when you used to go to uh,
1: church in the country. Yeah. I mean, I we coming out of the cotton field or whatever, you would hear amazing grace. How sweet the sound that saved a rich
0: Any, any last words uh, for our community, Billy? Two minutes.
1: Yeah. Oh, just know that God loves you and as long as we continue to love each other, we're going to be alright. And always remember that we're better together.
0: Let's thank Billy for being here.